Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Just Films and That, a podcast where we discuss films we think may be underrated, underappreciated, or we just want to talk about them. I'm Josh Hallam, and I'm joined by Eva by my co-host, Alice Oliver. Alice, how are you? I'm pretty good, thank you, Josh. How are you doing? I'm very well. It's Christmas. It's our Christmas episode, so um, we'll get into the film in a, in a little bit. So uh, your first Christmas on the, on the pod. Are you a Christmassy person? Do you like Christmas? Hmm. You know what? When I was younger, definitely. I definitely was. I think I was very lucky to, you know, be given quite magical and sort of just lovely Christmases with my family. My parents were really good at it. My mum would always go all out with the decorations. And we lived in rural North Wales as well. So it would actually snow. Like it would actually snow over Christmas and we'd have a white Christmas. So that was lovely. Um, but as I've got older, unfortunately, the world has turned me cynical. And now I just kind of see it as, you know, just as excess and it's just too much and there's so much plastic going to waste and people buy each other disposable presents and you know give pre- uh, joke presents and stuff and that I've just I've just become a bit cynical in my old age but I did hear Shaking Stevens on the radio the other day and that did put me in the mood a little bit are you Christmassy Josh <laughs> well it wasn't until you just heard that until I just heard you absolutely decimate Christmas and oh, the XX no. of Christmas. No, it's still it's <laughs> certainly much to enjoy, and it's always wonderful to be around family. Yeah, I'm I'm quite Christmassy in in the same way as you. As I've got older, it's much more about seeing friends and family and just having a nice time and and eating and drinking everything in the world, and then regretting it in January. So yeah, I, I would say I'm a Christmas person. What's uh, what's like a normal Christmas in the Alice Oliver household? Well, the past couple of years, it's been sort of quite mellow, quite, you know, basic. So me and my husband will travel over to North Wales and uh, usually spend the day with my mum and dad and my sister. Um, So the past couple of years, it's just been a case of sort of waking up Christmas morning in our house, then driving over to North Wales for the one hour commute that that is. Uh, but then hanging out with mum and dad. But then because I'm the only driver in the family, it means I never really get to have a Christmas drink. But 
we are putting that to rights this year because we've hired a caravan. So we're going to stay over, which means I can have as many glasses of avocado as I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Very what good. about you? Do you have quite, do you have like traditions or anything? Or is um, anything that you quite I might do have... over Christmas? Yeah, so a normal Christmas for me is we sort of go to my uh, my other half's family on Christmas Eve. We spend Christmas Eve with them. We usually either go out for a meal or get some nice food in. Uh, my uh, my lovely girlfriend makes eggnog, and we usually watch a film, some something either Christmassy or Pixar, that sort of thing. Have cake, you know, eat too much, and the next morning we get up you know, do, you know, presents and breakfast and we do the whole sort of food and all that stuff with with that side of the family. And then on um, Christmas Day afternoon, we go to my mum and dad's where we do, that's where we do the drinking. <laughs> so we do the eating with her family and the drinking with my family um, and, you know, all the cheese board and, and that bit, which is what I'm absolutely about is the cheese board, as I probably said before. <laughs> and then... Um, Christmas Day evening, we tend to just get slowly drunk and um, sing Christmas songs. Then it goes into Disney songs and then we just sort of fall asleep. But we always start the random question, but let's let's move on to uh, let's do a Christmas question, a Christmas random question. So I was thinking, what can I do? So I was thinking, if you could pick a injury sustained by one of the villains in Home Alone, which injury would you pick? Mm, that is a fantastic question. Now, naturally, none of them, as by their very nature, injuries unpleasant. But oh, let me have a think. Which one's the? So I do love, I do love the old hat of fire, where um, where his hat, where his hat goes on fire, <laughs> and the fire set, and he has to go headfirst into the toilet. That's enjoyable. I mean, Marv has some just terrific scenes doesn't he we've got him sliding around the paint we've got bookshelves falling on him people standing on nails oh josh i don't know so many to pick from why so we that's what i'd probably go I'd, I'd probably go for nail through the foot oh yeah love because, love because through the foot. <laughs> as much as that scene absolutely goes through me every time i've watched it it really does where he stands on a nail it's probably the one I feel like you'd heal the quickest from because it's just like a small puncture wound. Because I thought like iron in the face maybe, but no, you don't want to get in the face with anything. Handling the door handle that's been, you know, warmed up with the electric fire thing. It's on your hands. You need your hands. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you need your feet, but your hands are probably more important, like in my opinion. Um, so yeah, nail through the foot. I'm going to go nail through the foot. Mm, and that has made me recall the one where they climb in through the window and stand on the damaged baubles. Yeah, so yeah. I think I'll pick that one because it's got a really festive feel to it. <laughs> <laughs> so we've both gone. We've got. We've both gone foot related. Yeah. I, listen, our feet are sturdy. They have got nice thick skin on them. They can take anything. Plus, you spend most of Christmas sat on your ass, so uh, it's plenty of time to put your feet up and let them heal. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, we'll move on to talking about the Christmas film that we've picked. So basically, neither of us... Well, we've both picked this between us, haven't we? So we, we sort of were talking about films, classic Christmas films that um, that perhaps neither of us had seen because we wanted to talk about something new. We went through all the classics, like we just talked about Home Alone and, and, and you know, Miracle on 34th Street, It's a Wonderful Life, you know, all the, all the big ones. Um, <laughs> and we, we, we settled on uh, Gremlins... Because neither of us had seen it. You've definitely not seen it before. That's right, isn't it? 
So I had a bit of a kind of funny one with it. Like I remember I was around my mate's house one time and it was on. And I think we were watching it, but I have like I had no memory of it. I had no idea what was going on. And it was never a film that I was like, oh, yeah, I love Gremlins. I just did not remember it at all. But I kind of I knew I had a vague idea of what Gizmo looked like. And that was about it. But I think I think it is quite funny that. I mean, it's quite a popular film, isn't it? And it is one that many people have seen. I think it's interesting that we both, it's just fallen off our radar for both of us. Yes, yeah, like kind of passed us both by because we're both kind of, we're both kind of too young to have seen it when we were dead little. And it's kind of by that point, it had entered the, it had entered the sort of cultural awareness and zeitgeist so much that maybe we'd just never been back to it or maybe it's always been, like you say, maybe we just missed it, maybe we just missed it. But I think I had seen it as a, as a child, but I have absolutely no memory of watching it. So as far as I'm concerned, I've not seen it. So um, what did you expect? So, I, mean, I mean, look, we normally do the plot synopsis at this point. If you don't know what Gremlins is about, young boy from kind of small Holton American town, his dad buys him an exotic pet called a Mogwai as a Christmas present, comes with a certain set of rules such as don't get him wet, don't take him out into the sunlight or bright lights, and don't feed him after midnight. Uh, the rules are broken, and, you know, guess what? Chaos ensues. So um, what did you kind of expect going in? Did you expect exactly what you got? I think it actually sort of delivered a little bit more than what I was expecting in some regards. I was expecting something a bit more child-friendly. I mean, I appreciate that it is a child's film, but there's some really bad acts of violence in there. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wasn't expecting that. Um, and it was quite funny in places, which I'm not sure if I, if I was prepared for. And something that really stood out to me, and some of the, just kind of aesthetically, it was very interesting. But the the opening scene where it's all like this, you know, sort of dark, like gangster film, like a film noir sort of thing. Where he's like, I was walking around Chinatown, <laughs> and he goes into this yeah. like creepy little shop, and you know, he he finds this exotic exotic pet. But that scene I just thought was really interesting and I didn't expect it to sort of be framed like that, I suppose. Did you, what were your expectations going in? Yes, similar to you really. I absolutely didn't expect the narration. Um, and I suppose I was expecting sort of like your classic 80s family film with sort of elements of horror. So like a like a The Goonies or or something like that or, you know, that kind of thing. With And I did expect kind of dated effects and and, and maybe dated references and, and that sort of thing. But no, the narration's a funny one because I didn't expect the narration. And actually, I don't, <laughs> it's weird. It's like it's not, it's not actually even needed. It's like it opens the film and closes the film. But that is, it's not, it doesn't really add anything to the story. It's literally just there to kind of, ease you in and ease you out i guess like it, i suppose it bookends the story but i expected pretty much what i what i got i agree with you it was more adult if you like than i was expecting it's certainly a lot more like gruesome and violent but also more funny than than i was expecting so it's a strange one because really that in terms of the, its audience it is quite a strange one because it's kind of a family film with elements of quite gory violence. And I believe that when it came out, it was a bit of a sort of talking point that they, I, th I don't know if this on its own, I think it was this and Indiana Jones led to the creation of the PG-13, I think. I don't know if that's completely right, but I believe that it led to the creation of the PG-13 certificate in America. Over here, I don't know if we already have 12. I know 12A came in for Spider-Man. Um, but yeah, so... It's strange because it is a little bit all over the place, but 
I expected more or less what I got. So what did you what did you think of it? I really enjoyed some elements of it. Um, like I touched on just then, sort of aesthetically, I thought it was really interesting. I feel like a lot of the special effects and a lot of the props were really impressive. Uh, there was one scene where I think it's all the sort of mogwai eggs are in the young boy's bedroom and they're like getting ready to hatch and stuff and they're all covered in slime and there's this wonderful fog uh, you know, just coming off of the floor and stuff. So there's lots of things like that that I really enjoyed. Um, I mean, obviously Gizmo. Obviously Gizmo is the cutest thing ever. And oh my God, I want a Gizmo. And it's like, that's, you know, that's it's exactly how I felt about like Pikachu and stuff. So you can see, like, that's the real draw for the kids, isn't it? And you want yeah. them to come away from that film going, I need to buy that toy. And it's like, oh, thanks, guys. Um, so, Pro- proper yeah. baby Yoda, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I know, but, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about Baby Yoda another time. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, the big ears, the big eyes, so cute. You know, he just does, like, a little thing. When they've got, like, a little voice, then you just go, oh. And it's like, oh, your heart your heart can't help but break. Did you feel Did you feel what they wanted you to feel about yeah. this now? So Yeah, so, I mean, like you said, he's incredibly cute. But I think the gremlins, in general... So all of them as well. I mean, Gizmo, like you say, is the standout sort of cute one, but all of them, they look brilliant. And for me, that as much as you can tell that they are puppets, that really adds to the film's charm for me. I thought the film was absolutely chock full of charm. And I think that a lot of that is down to the puppetry of the of, of the, the gremlins and the way they look. So not only is sort of Gizmo very, very cute, but the way they each other one looks different, like Stripe, they give him his own personality and, and they give them all their own personality and the way that they show them sort of going about the mischief on uh, around the town, like it's quite, it's funny and it's kind of, it's kind of, it adds like a dark humour to it as well because some of the stuff they do is is quite dark and I think what they do a really good job of is setting it up as this wholesome American town like you've seen before, you know, everyone knows everyone and there's like one bank and one shop and all the shops are built around the square. It's actually because it's funny. I was I was watching it thinking, God, that looks a lot like uh, Back to the Future. Like it looks a lot like the same town. Uh, oh, it, it is it's the same set. Mm. So like, but like that that kind of idea of everyone knows everyone, and like I love these like whole American comedies where there's like everyone's got like, really like quite like American names that like, always called like Mister Footerman or like Mister Hickey or and there's a character in this called Mrs. Deagle. There might even be one called Mrs. Blumsky, and then you got a lead called like Billy, and it's like so American. It's like it's like apple pie to its core, and then when you bring the Gremlins in and they're doing this sort of dark like mischievous things like it's that's why that's where it is dark but that's also where the comedy comes from but like the puppetry for the gremlins i mean i'm always in awe of it. i've got a, i've got a friend who's who's a puppeteer and always in awe of like what they can do because it's so intricate and so fiddly i just don't have the sort of the dexterity and the concentration for it myself but it, i'm always i'm always in awe of how someone can make a puppet look good like it's CGI is great, but like a puppet, there's a there's a real practical skill in that. Oh, certainly, I'm a big fan of the puppet use as well, and it does it just ages better, I think, as well. Like if you were looking back at a film at that time, or if they had used CGI or tried to, you know, generate it 
with a computer in the 80s um it would just it it does it just loses a bit like it dates so quickly doesn't it like we're making such leaps and bounds like even year on year but with a puppet and if you get it right like you say like if the design is there and it's all about the intricate little details and making each one unique so it doesn't just feel like a blur of the same thing coming at you especially because there's so many of them by the end as well but no yeah really enjoyed the puppets and just just quickly touching on something that you said before about like that wholesome American town. It's like towards the end or, you know, when, when the gremlins are, you know, wreaking havoc on the town, like really just doing some crazy chaotic things. The police are like, oh my God, but it's Christmas like this. And like, they just can't believe that what's happening is happening in their town. And how dare they have the audacity to do it over Christmas, our holiday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. And like, like you say, back to the effects that the, the kind of low grade nature of the effects, like something like Indiana Jones or Ghostbusters, all these sort of your classic 80s films, as much as you can tell that they have aged, I think that with something like this, it really adds to the charm. So, you know, when Stripe um, melts at the end, like it does, it looks like you say, it, it looks a bit ropey, but I think that that low grade nature of it, that practical nature, like adds to the charm much more than say, like bad CGI. As much as it has aged, it's not aged anywhere near as badly as a something with bad CGI in it. So that's something I really like. I don't know, it gives it a sort of, a certain something, a, a, cl a classic feel to it, like like something like Labyrinth or anything with the Muppets, Muppets Christmas Carol. People love puppets. <laughs> and it is, like you say about that charm, and almost like a sort of, a bit of a, that kind of childhood wonder sort of feeling as well. I think kind of towards the beginning of the film, uh, Billy, I think it is, he's like running through, he's running through the streets. I don't know if he's, he's trying to get to work or something, but he's like running through the streets and like everyone's kind of saying, hi, Billy. And there's like this really energetic music playing, like you're about to go on an adventure. And I really noticed that. And I was like, oh, this is making me excited for what's about to happen. And that I thought was really interesting. And that also kind of helps uh, with the feel of a Christmas film as well, doesn't it? You want it to be, you know, a bit magical, a bit sort of wonder-like. Um, and something that I noticed it did as well, and it made me realise that other Christmas films do this too, but is referencing other Christmas films. So very often there would be another Christmas film on the TV or they'd be like walking past a shop and it would be on there. Just so many references to these other Christmas films. So I wonder sort of what the what the aim behind that was really. I think it's to I think it's to draw you into the whole. Quite often, it's it's. Um, I think in this, is it, it's they watch. I mean, there's a couple they watch. I think, but in this, do they watch? It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. So like that's one where it's like that is your classic Christmas film of a wholesome town where everyone knows everyone. So I think they do that to draw comparisons. Like it, it happens in. Um, I mean, in, they do it in Home Alone. In both Home Alones, they watch. It's a Wonderful Life when they in the hotel like they're either in a hotel room or in a house and one of them they're in paris and one of them they're in miami and 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 they're watching it's a wonderful life i think they do it to draw comparisons but it's interesting you talk about the music then because that's something else i really like because they do that thing of they mix it with really emotive classical music as well as classic christmas songs but there's also some like really oh. 80s synth led like tension building music in there so i thought that's quite interesting as again as much as it that style, that synth style is quite dated. It added to the overall sort of charm of the film for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I definitely agree. In terms of the aesthetics as well, 
I was just thinking there was a real sort of like prominent and intentional use of shadow a lot of the time. Like a lot of the time the characters' faces were in shadow or like the action was happening sort of just out of the light and in the shadow. There's one scene I think where he's in the classroom and he takes... What is it he takes to his his, prof- his his teacher? Is it the mog? Is it the other mog? I one think it's other? one of the other mogwais when they're in their like cat- yeah. they're like caterp not caterpillar state, but you know when they're in their cocoon cocoon type thing. Yeah, yeah. So he takes he takes it to his teacher in the classroom, and you know there's blinds on the window, and you see the blinds kind of reflect, um, you know, the shadow of the blinds on their face, and that was just ongoing throughout. And I did wonder if that was maybe because of the mogwai and the gremlins aversion to light. And it was kind of just sort of playing off that. Um, but it certainly, I mean, it was always intentional, definitely. Something I really liked about it. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's quite relatively speaking compared to films these days it's quite low stakes so like a lot of films now a lot of it's like the world is going to end the universe is going to end you know every big blockbuster is is the world is going to end or the city will be destroyed or that sort of thing but this is just kind of like well we better catch them or the you know the, the town and that like town will be destroyed but you know but then then it'll go light anyway so they might not be okay like so i quite like that idea of like not everything is riding on it it's just kind of a little adventure it's the same with with a lot of other classic films like stand by me or et or that sort of thing you know it's a low stakes sort of what's the word like contained that's the word sorry that's the word i'm looking for it's a contained world where there's not much outside of it and this has happened and then it's resolved and then everything goes back to the equilibrium and everything's back to normal. And everything's just lovely again. It's not 
oh my God, the world is ending and we're going to set up 700 sequels. One of the things that I found interesting is that nobody seems kind of surprised by the creatures themselves or particularly curious in kind of where they came from or how they work scientifically or, you know, what their culture is or, you know, it's all just kind of very, they turn up and they're just like, oh, best we guess we better get rid of them. And it's like, but... But you don't, you don't even know what it is. You don't know where this has come from. Is this come from an alien planet? And everyone's kind of casual in that regard. Um, and the mum especially, the, the mum character, she's great. I think she's really, she provided quite a lot of the comedy for me. Like when she hears the noise upstairs, because he's got all those things in his bedroom, which is just crazy, right? So all these eggs, all these cocoon things. And the mum hears the noise. She grabs a freaking kitchen knife and she looks like something out of Psycho, like ready to go up the stairs and stab these things to death. And then obviously you get this fantastic kind of violent sort of montage of her kind of killing them all. And one of them goes in a microwave and she does <laughs> that. Like really really quite brutal eh but they are little horrors aren't they they are just it's like they do just embody chaos and there's like there's no taming them and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to what they're doing and they're just but then they're getting like drunk in the bar and stuff and like eating loads of nuts and that like really really embracing the human culture i think i assume that they're aliens did you, is that well, yeah, I was going to ask you that. It's funny. It's um, like it's quite indicative of the style of filmmaking at the time, which is like a lot of it was just fantastical and it just is what it is and you don't need to ask questions. Whereas now, if they made this now, the, it would be it'd be absolutely hammered with exposition about what they are. And it's quite funny you say that. Like I always assume they were like aliens, but are they aliens or are they are they animals from a sort of distant part of the world that hasn't quite been discovered yet like what are they like like it, it's funny you say that like and i do feel like and if this was made now you'd know what they are but it almost it almost doesn't matter what they are because they're just gremlins well mogwai they're mogwai but you know they're called gremlins but i think that's quite interesting and like you say they do they are funny and they do do funny things that like they do get drunk in a bar and they do seem to be able to talk but not fully talk so like that's why it's like are they more alien than animals because not really any animals can talk apart from you know parrots but they're clearly not birds you know it's 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 a it's a strange thing I would probably go with you and say alien that was that was where my brain went initially and they're sort of they're very technically skilled as well you know they know how to turn off the traffic lights they know you know <laughs> what a kind of what a box is and what the wires are and they you know they how seem to cut, be don't they cut quite... the uh, don't they cut the phone lines. <laughs> The lines, one point. Yeah. They're more technically proficient than either of us. I couldn't cut my own phone line. <laughs> I have no idea where to start. I don't even know where to I'm, go. I'm, I'm absolutely buggered if our water goes because I don't even know where my stopcock is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they they seem to be kind of just really on the ball with all those sort of things. So that was really interesting. If, you know, just kind of wonder if is that something that they've learned very quickly or, you know, just preconceived knowledge that they had or... Does it just not matter at all? Which is probably the <laughs> it's answer. probably that, isn't it? It is. It doesn't matter what they are. They learn quickly, and they are what they are for the purposes of a plot. But it, it works. I didn't come away feeling unsatisfied that I didn't know what they were. I just thought it's quite funny that the way we're thinking now is much more about like it's much more questionable. It's much more like, well, what are they? You know, back in the day, it was like, well, they're just there. That that's what they are. Yeah, but now it, they would be like some awful. Uh, effect of climate change or something yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
So just something that I was, I was looking to touch on as well. So the young the young girl who is sort of Billy's love interest, that character. So she is it like they're walking? It's quite near the beginning of the film. I think Billy's walking at home or something, and he's like, huh, "Why don't you smile around Christmas or something like that?" And she's like, "My dad killed himself or something." Yeah, like something really really dark. Her backstory is like. <laughs> Really, really dark. So, yeah, so, like, that's something I wanted to touch on as well, which is some of her, particularly that character's dialogue. And this is where the script, the, the film falls down a little bit, is some of the script and some of the dialogue. So I think what you're referring to is at the beginning, he says, like, why are you always so down around the holidays? And she talks about <laughs> a really high suicide rate over the holidays. And, uh, and, yes. and you watch it and you kind of go, oh, shit, wasn't expecting that. And then later on, in a gap in the action, they end up in some sort of disused shop or disused bar. And she does this big dialogue, a big monologue about um, her dad dying whilst dressing up as Father Christmas and <gasps> oh, getting it, either getting it? stuck in the chimney or having a heart attack whilst trying to come down the chimney. And it's a bit, I suppose what I'm trying to say is it's a bit tonally all over the place because both those scenes of dialogue they come from absolutely nowhere and they don't fit with the rest of the film. And I know that when I was reading around the film and, and stuff, what I could find, I think someone, whether it was the director or the writer, either insisted that was kept in or wanted someone wanted to take it out. And I do feel like that particularly the second bit should have been taken out because it's not, it takes the, it takes the wind out of the film and you just kind of have the audience go, Oh, where did that come from? I think there's not enough happens with it really to, I don't, but I don't know though. Like, is it is it important to draw attention to these things over the holidays? Maybe it is. Maybe that's what the film is trying to do. But no, I can. I mean, I agree that it, it's it feels like it feels like a real kind of it feels really jarring. Yeah, because it just doesn't match with anything else you've said. And it is horrific. I've forgotten that those were the exact details that you've got stuck. In the chimney, and then which, but but oh, the problem. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what the problem is? Right, and and you're right. Perhaps films should talk about this, but there's a way to do them. Right, there's a way to, to address these issues. Now, I'm not sure. Back then, they were trying to address that issue, the issue of sort of mental health. I think what they were trying to do is give her a backstory, but without enough time to do it. And the problem with that second story is, it's funny. Like her, like like her dad. This sounds insensitive, but she's giving this emotional monologue about her dad dressing up as Father Christmas, trying to squeeze down the chimney and dying, and then his body starting to smell. And I was watching it, and I didn't really know how I was supposed to react because it was such a tonal shift. So I, my immediate reaction was to kind of laugh. I know mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm just an absolute heartless bastard, but. There's a, I don't know, it's just really, it's so whether, I don't know if I laugh because I don't mean it was funny in itself. It's almost so awkward that it's funny, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's the, it's the context of it. I think in, in a different context, of course, that would be very serious or very moving or, you know, something that you really would kind of take on board. But because of the context here, it does just feel very out of place. And it doesn't, like, what, what is it meant to be doing? Is it enhancing her character? Is it, like you say, is it just trying to give her this, you know, a reason to hate Christmas? And, of course, that is a very valid reason to hate Christmas. But, yeah, 
very strange in a, in a, in a PG. And I would agree with you that it was difficult to understand how to kind of absorb that bit of information. So that's a really interesting point, and that's something I want to come on to now if we talk about things that we sort of didn't like. So we talked about, you know, the script is a little jarring at points. I think one of the reasons for that is the overarching problem with the film. And it's not, it doesn't make the film a bad film. I really enjoyed the film. But is that it's not quite sure who it's for. It's not quite a family film. It's not quite an adult film. And it's a bit all over the place in terms of it's wholesome and it's funny, but also at times... It's really violent and really gory. And it also, there's like, there's like jokes in it about the menopause. Like they, they say something about mum's change or something like that. I can't remember what it is, but it's like not that kind of change or something like that. And it's clearly that what they're getting at is it's, it's a menopause joke. And then it's like, yeah. And then you've got like really grotesque scenes like the like stripes kind of he melts he melts in in the sunlight or when the the gremlins escape one of the gremlins escapes and kills the teacher the chemistry teacher it is a bit all over the place and that just leaves it being a little bit jarring i think i think the legacy of the film is very much like if you liked it at the time or if it's a film that's within your sort of wheelhouse in like one of these films that gets passed down from family members then i think you grow a real love for the film but if you watch it the first time as we both have as adults without any real connection to the film. I felt like it left me a little bit like, I don't know. It's like not for me, but it's not for kids. So I don't, it was a bit all over the place tonally, I suppose. What did you think? Yeah, no, I, I do agree. And I'm not, uh, other than our Christmas film, I'm not sure kind of really what genre you'd put it in. Cause it could be horror. It could be, it could be a kid's film. But then, the, you know, the violence really and some of the some of the, you know, topics that are covered does feel like it's maybe not so much geared towards kids. But the, because of how Gizmo is and it's obviously a child led cast, you know, the kids are the main characters. Um, but I don't know, maybe kids in the 80s were just a little bit darker than we are. Maybe bit, we're not yeah. punk enough, Josh. Just a bit harder. Kids are just a bit yeah. harder. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And um, one thing I did notice, there was a few odd cuts and continuity errors, like just the odd thing where you'd have, you know, two characters would maybe be stood next to each other in one shot and then it cuts and then the position was all wrong. So there was a few just kind of mistakes like that that I noticed. Not enough to put me off the film at all. But then that made me wonder if it was rushed in any way, which is usually the case. And then I'm, you know, would be curious to know then what rushed it, who, you know, who was trying to kind of force this through before it was ready. But other than that, I don't think there was really anything that I disliked. Like I didn't, I didn't come away from it thinking, whoa, what a film I've just watched. But it definitely was Christmassy. Mm. There's plenty of sort of Christmas themes going on, Christmassy kind of scenes and, you know, all the music and the film references. So it did make me feel a little bit Christmassy. Um, but apart from that, I don't, I don't think there was anything that I particularly didn't like, but I just, it didn't blow me away. But I suppose, it, you know, like with most kids' films, they're not going to blow you away. It's just about whether you fell in love with that when you were at a very impressionable age. And that seems to be, you know, a lot of what it is. That's it, isn't it? It's like, if you watch this at the right time, you'd absolutely love it. Like the way that, like, I suppose people of our generation might absolutely love something like Hocus Pocus or Jumanji. Like I've, since the new, for example, since the new Jumanji film, the, the first of the new ones with The Rock and Karen Gillan and stuff came out. I The first one, is it Welcome to the Jungle? I, I really like that one. Maybe. I think it's a really, really good all-round sort of film. So after that came out, I went back and watched the Robin Williams one. And then, like, 
it's actually not that good. Like I didn't enjoy it that much. It wasn't what I was expecting. I'd I'd seen it as a kid and remember loving it fondly. So maybe it's that side of situation of a film that's very much just loaded with its nostalgic baggage type thing. But I agree with you. There's nothing I didn't like. I would watch it again. I'd certainly watch the next one. It's, it didn't blow me away. It was a bit tonally all over the place, but it was absolutely chock full of charm. The woman was a good villain, wasn't she? Mrs. Deagle. She was good. She's a funny one because she's another one that like is an example of the, the script being a bit weird. So like she is a she's a great villain. The actress is really, really good. She gives a really good, like, villainous performance. But there's two points I want to make about that character. Number one, she wants to get a she wants to get a dog put down because it smashed a bit of a snowman, which is top notch villain behaviour, but also a little strong. Which is an example of where the script is a bit all over the place. Number two, and I checked this, and I checked this again, and I checked it again. And if anyone can show me that I'm wrong, but that actress is 47 years old at the time of this film. Okay. And they oh, make her seem like a woman in her 70s who needs a stair lift to get down the stairs. And honestly, <laughs> I must have sat there for it. It was like the, my main bit of research was going, she can't be 47. Oh, wow. But she is. It's like, that, but that's mad. I mean, and that, I mean, maybe that's just a testament to what a great performance she gives sort of physically and vocally. Yeah, maybe. I thought, I did think she was great. She was... Like, we've talked about it before, but, you know, these moustache twirling, just, you know, there's no there's no mistaking who the villain is sort of thing. And, like, she wants to put the dog down, and then that's just funny because it's, like, it's the exact opposite of the save the cat moment. Because as soon as anybody said that they want to bring harm to animals, especially for such a, like, silly reason as well, it's just so you instantly know you need to hate this character. <laughs> you do, you do. So uh, we'll move on to talking about the critical reception. Now, we've picked this together and neither of us have picked it from the point of view of being underrated or anything like that. We've just picked it because we wanted to watch a lovely Christmas film that neither of us had seen before. So let's talk about if we think it's appropriately related and deserving. If anything, let's see if it's deserving of being a classic, I suppose. So to give you a general idea, IMDb gives it 7.3 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes audience give it 78% and the critics on Rotten Tomatoes give it 85%. So pretty high scores. Do we think that's fair? Um, yeah, the, so that that IMDb score is probably where my where my head was at. I was thinking kind of seven, low seven. Um that uh that critics choice, uh the critics um score is it's pretty, pretty high, high, isn't it? Into the 80s yeah. There. Yeah, that's higher than some other that that might be higher than like some of the other ones we've done that <laughs> we've picked as classics. But, yeah, I mean, it is It is definitely, we both knew going into it, it was a classic. Is it deserving of being a Christmas classic? I think so, because it's it's always fun to have a Christmas film that's doing something a little bit different. And for all the Christmas films out there that, you know, just do kind of follow the same old tropes, and I'm not saying that's bad, but it is refreshing to get something that's just, like, grotesque at the same time. So I kind of enjoyed that, and it, it sort of made the whole thing a bit funny in itself. Yeah. And I do understand, like, I think I understand the hype around it. Yeah, I agree. So I, I'm the same as you. I think it's nice of a Christmas film that has a certain look. It cre creates a nice little self-contained world where you know the rules. I mean, the whole film is literally built on you knowing the rules. It looks brilliant. The, the puppetry and the way it looks and the effects, even though it's clear that it has aged, that hasn't affected my enjoyment of the film. It just it was it had chock full of loads of charm, 
definitely worth its place as a classic Christmas film for me. Yeah, and I think if somebody asked me, would I recommend it? I would say, yeah. I think definitely worth a watch at least once, for sure. There we go. There we go. Uh, Another Christmas episode for you. Uh, We will be back next week with just a normal episode. So uh, we'll look forward to seeing you then. Um, in the meantime, if you do want to get in touch with us, the email address is filmsandthatpod at gmail.com. And we're on all the social medias if you just look for uh, just films and that pod. I think all that remains to say is um, thank you very much for uh, listening to us this year. Thank you very much for sticking with us. Um, we know it's been a bit of a mad year for, for everybody and, and we hope that listening to us has, has brought you any kind of <laughs> entertainment or, or, or joy or anything like that. And I think... All that's left to do is wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And let's hope that next year's a better one. Uh, And we will see you next week. Alice Oliver, thanks very much for joining me as ever. Thank you so much, Josh. Pleasure as always. And it's cheerio from me. Bye. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.